But as we look at this passage, some of the testimonies the young people shared are going to fit with this as well. And uh, there's a principle that we're going to close with this morning that's very important for everybody, but especially for believers to get this down. All right, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, and the, the title of the message is, Will You Puff Up or Build Up? Will you puff up or build up? And uh, I hope the build up shows us blocks of bricks making the letters because it seemed important to me for some silly reason. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Now let's pause right there for just a moment. I want you to see that Paul was not teaching that you don't need to learn and mature. That's not what Paul was dealing with. So when he's writing in here, he's saying that knowledge puffs up. Yes, some knowledge does. Uh, Some of the most arrogant people on our planet are also some of the most intelligent. And they think they're so much above other people. And the Bible says it's great to have knowledge, especially spiritual knowledge. But if it puffs you up, if it makes you think you're better than other people, if it makes you put other people down, then, then that knowledge itself is a hindrance in your spiritual life. So listen to these verses that talk about our need to learn and know. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, Jesus challenged his disciples to learn from him. 1 Samuel 2, 3, uh, the scripture says, the Lord is a God of knowledge. Solomon's prayer to God in 2 Chronicles 1.10. Now give me wisdom and knowledge. He wanted to effectively lead the people and he knew he needed both to do that. Romans 15.14. Paul praised the believers in Rome for being filled with all knowledge. 2 Peter 1.4. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge to build up and grow and continue. And then Paul himself, a lifelong learner, in the second Roman imprisonment, as Paul's uh, writing to Timothy for the last known record of his writing, facing certain death, he says, bring the cloak that I left to you uh, with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. The books are the different things he's learning. The parchments are the record of Scripture. And he wants all of this because he wants to keep learning. Knowledge can be used to puff up or to build up. The problem is not knowledge. The problem is what you do with the knowledge or don't do with it. Knowledge is important. Knowledge helps us make wise choices. But there's something far more important than knowledge. How many of you have ever seen somebody driving and they didn't seem to be knowing what they were doing? Yeah. They have knowledge, but they're not putting it in practice. But there's something more important than that. 
and that is love. Verse 1 says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Love edifies. So in America, people generally worship one of two gods. And uh, two, one of two different gods. The first is the god of self. This is the focus of humanism and hedonism and exalting the self, uh, seeking fame and popularity and self-indulgence. I read or listen to audiobooks of a lot of biographies and that, and some of these people that I really liked until I read their book, and they're like, wow, they're really impressed with themselves, aren't they? And, and they think, so many of them say they have outgrown the religious teaching of their youth. Listen, when you outgrow God, you're in seriously bad shape. And so they think they've grown beyond, and now they just worship themselves, and, and they have the ideas, and they have the knowledge, and they have the understanding, and, and that's not what the Bible teaches at all. Uh, now, you do have to take care of yourself. You do have to, you, you need food, you need clothing, you need shelter, you need all those good things like soap and toothpaste and deodorant, and, and you need light bulbs, and we really need a refrigerator, right? I mean, we have all these things that we need to have, especially out here in Arizona. Aren't you praising the Lord? We have air conditioning. Do you know there were a lot of people who lived here before air conditioning, and they had houses with big thick walls and they would hang wet blankets over the windows so the wind would blow and it'd be kind of like a swamp cooler. Uh, but there's a reason why Phoenix was not much bigger than Casa Grande before air conditioning was invented and then it boomed. But most people end up self-absorbed or self-indulgent unless they're intentionally avoiding it they follow the God of self. Social media thrives on that. Second God of America is the God of stuff. Acquisition, materialism, possessions, income. All right, you got to finish this phrase. Shop till you... How do you know that? Because that's a thing in our culture. Shop till you drop. And now, you know, you do so much of your shopping online with Amazon, you got your mouse click, and, and you just keep shopping till your finger goes into a spasm and can't work anymore. Uh, that's the way people are in our culture. In America today, a man or a woman is not considered successful when they have integrity and character and they help other people, and they make a positive contribution to society. In America, what determines if somebody's considered successful? A lot of stuff. All kinds of money. And they have money for vacation homes, and they travel freely, and, and uh, they, they don't help others, they help themselves. And, and they love and serve the God of stuff. Years ago... Uh, like when we were newlyweds, so, you know, 39 years ago, we heard a preacher and he was talking about a bumper sticker he saw and it said, it was on a Jaguar, really sharp sports car. Uh, uh, the sedan Jaguars are beautiful, but this was one of those little two-seater sport car Jaguars and, and 
It was glorious. And he had on this bumper sticker, he who dies with the most toys wins. And the preacher says, well, I got news for you, folks. He who dies with the most toys still dies. There is no satisfaction. In fact, one of the Rockefellers at the time, he was the richest man in the world, and he was asked, how much money is enough? What did he say? Yeah, just a little bit more. Money and stuff will never satisfy. Following your own heart will not satisfy because your own heart can lead you astray. You need to follow the one true God. Look in uh, chapter 8 and verse number 4. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. Only God is God. Everyone else is equally under his authority. Now, why do you think I emphasize the word equally? There are people who think they're above other people. And, and I, I actually have known pastors who would cheat on their income taxes uh, and think it was okay because they had a higher calling to answer to God than the government. By the way, your pastor doesn't do that. Uh, and we, we uh, and the Bible actually says we also answer to the government. And the only time we can willfully disobey the government is when the government makes following Christ illegal. So we honor God. And everybody's equally under God's authority. Now, kids, why do you think that's important for you to understand that everybody's equally under God's authority? I, can you hear the answer? It's kind of a... Uh, I think it's, a, I'm afraid to speak because it might be wrong and I don't want to embarrass myself. Listen, isn't it nice to know? We'll, we'll pick on Ella right now. She, all the other Penix except Gwen got to get up here and do something. And so Ella, poor Ella, feels left out. She's the next oldest. Ella, isn't it nice to know that the mom sitting in front of you and the grandparents on both sides of you answer to God just like you do? That's nice to know, isn't it? In fact, kids, if your parents are not guiding you to follow God, then you have a responsibility to talk to your parents about what God's Word says. And everybody's equally under God's authority. I don't have a special exemption because I'm a man. Everybody's equally under God's authority. And so... In verse 5, it talks about false gods. There are even, for even if there were so-called gods, whether in heaven or earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for him, and the one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we all, we, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. So there's only one God, and everyone is equally under his authority. In the false gods, name some things that people have, have worshipped, not materialism or things like that, but are pagan idols, things that people worship. The sun, 
the moon, stars. They worship hunks of wood. They worship rocks. There's certain rocks that are special rocks. They, they worship those rocks. Some in India worship cows. They worship their ancestors who maybe have been reincarnated as cows. My ancestors used to have a farm with cows, but uh, that was the closest we came. In Hinduism, there's more than 30,000 different gods they mention. Now, <coughs> excuse me. The truth is, there's one God. The one true and living God. Listen to these verses from Isaiah that support what Paul said in verse 4. There is no other God but one. Isaiah 43, 11, I, even I, am the Lord. Beside me there is no Savior. Uh, verse, uh, Isaiah 43, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. God doesn't do it just because he loves you. He does it for his own sake so he can have a people and he blesses and enriches us. And he said, I will not remember your sins. Now pause right there. How many of you have done something and somebody reminds you of it frequently? Yeah. You know, my family gets together. My family loves to tell stories. And part of the way my family shows love, it's kind of warped, is harassing. And so I get with my brothers and sisters, and it's not friendly, conversational like it is with my wife and her family, uh, but it's kind of, I remember when you did that, you know, and I, so I'm sitting at my sister's house. My, my folks had moved up to Sholo, and my dad was dying. In fact, I think he had just died, and, and the next day, no, the day before he died, his pastor came over and visited with us, and so... This pastor in Cholo, I met him last year, uh, and he came over in March, and he was now visiting with my sister and I. He has known me since I was 59 years old. At that point, I was still 59 years old. And he'd known me all of six months. And my sister has to tell him stories about me from 57 years before. And some of the horrible stuff I did. And I did some bad stuff. I was not a nice kid. And I hurt her and I embarrassed her. And that pastor didn't need to know that stuff. He probably uses me as a sermon illustration now. Look, the grace of God, I heard about this pastor who was an evil little kid. And now, you know, I don't know. But listen, God does not remember your sins. Those things that I did back then when I asked the Lord to be my Savior, He forgave me from all of them, and He doesn't remember them against me anymore. Glory. Uh, but my family still does. Verse Chapter 44, verse 6, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Now, we all know there's an organization that call themselves a Church of Jesus Christ, and they have facilities here in town, several of them, and, and, but they're not teaching the truth of God's Word because God said, I'm the only one. 
in their faith and their understanding, they a bunch of guys can become gods. They're even investigating the possibility that women might be able to come become gods someday. But but they have all these gods that create their own world and their own universe, and you can become a god. And that's not at all what the Bible says. There is one God. No others, never has been, never will be. Isaiah 45, verses 5 and 6. I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me that they may, I'm sorry, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting, there is none besides me. I am the Lord. So the other morning, Kathy was out early. She's often out early and she went out in the backyard. She got a beautiful picture of a sunrise. Gorgeous pictures, sunrise through the trees just west of our house. And, and, and from the rising of the sun till it goes all the way down and it sets, God's the only one. No other God. Chapter 46, verse 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. There is only one God and everyone is equally under his authority. Now, the next concept idea I want you to think about is that uh, you have the responsibility to do what is best for others. You have the responsibility to do what is best for others. All right, we're going on in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, look in verse number 6. Uh, yet there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of the idol, until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food does not condemn us to God. I'm going to explain this in just a little bit. Track with me here. Verse 9. But beware, lest someone know some, I'm sorry, let's jump back to verse 8. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Now, to really understand this, you need to understand the culture. There in Corinth, they had pagan temples, temples to pagan gods, to false gods, probably demons masquerading as God. 
And they had these temples built to them and these shrines to them. And in the temples, the, the people who followed the false gods, they would go in and they would offer sacrifices. Like we have an offering box in the back there and you can put your offering in before or after church and you can send it online. People do. Uh, you can go to the church website and send it. But in their culture, they had to bring an offering. And they didn't have a lot of money. Money is kind of a newer invention, and, and they, they didn't have a lot of coins and money, so they brought stuff, and they bartered, and they traded. And so they would bring the best cuts of meat, and they would present it in the temple to the idol, and, and then they would uh, worship the idol. Now, the priest who served that false idol, they would take that meat, and they would cut some of the really good stuff apart for themselves. You know, they, they'd Jim Ricosi loves prime rib, so they'd cut off a whack of that prime rib and they'd keep that. And, and, uh, and then uh, they'd sell the other stuff. And so they got so many offerings, they actually put a restaurant in beside the temple in a portico. You know, some of the restaurants here in town have outdoor seating, which isn't really used this time of year, but in the wintertime it is. Maybe will be again. We have no idea what the future is going to be like. But, but they had this portico and you could go there and you could eat. And it was the best steak place in town. It was the place where you could go to get the best food, uh, the richest food, uh, the most excellent tasting food. Now, if you're a believer and you know that those false idols are nothing... Well, then you could in good conscience go enjoy a good steak. And so that's what they would do. But then there were people who grew up in that culture. And in that culture, once that meat had been offered to the idol, it implied a blessing from that idol. And by eating that meat... You were saying, I'm committed to that idol. I'm going to obey those rituals. I'm going to follow them. And so a new believer who got saved out of that, and, and they walk in, they, they couldn't eat that meat. In the, in the same way that Daniel wouldn't eat the meat in, in Babylon because it had been offered to the idols there. And he wanted to show them that his blessing came from God, not from the idols of Babylon. So he ate vegetable mush for years instead of eating the delicious meat because he wanted to take a stand for God. And so these newer believers, they're getting confused and there's tension in the church in Corinth. There's the meat eaters and the non-meat eaters. They're the people who are comfortable eating in the temple because they think it's nothing. And other people who are shocked and appalled that a believer would go into the temple to eat. And so there's this tension in the church. And Paul's writing about this, and he's giving instruction to them, and he's saying to them that you have the responsibility to do what is best for others. To do what is best for others. On the screen, I have a picture of a fireman, maybe a dad or grandpa walking a kid, a doctor, and somebody pushing somebody in a wheelchair. They're all of them trying to do what's best for others. When firemen rush into a burning building, is that the best thing for them? No, but it might be the best thing for the people trapped inside there that they could rescue 
that they could save. And so in this tension, in this church, Paul said, hey, I'm going to give you guys some instruction to help you figure this out. And so he said, you have this responsibility, even though you have the knowledge that the idols are nothing, you should choose not to eat the meat that has been offered to the idols because you don't want to hurt the younger believers. Now, look at verse 12. He says, When you thus sin against the brethren, you wound their weak conscience, and you sin against who? Christ. When you sin against your brothers, you sin against Christ. And so when you hurt another believer, you're hurting Jesus Christ. In fact, that's exactly what Saul Told, what the Lord told Saul on the road to Damascus in Acts 9.4. Uh, he said, Saul heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, uh, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord answered and said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Had Saul actually physically touched Jesus? No. Had Saul uh, been around to call out jeers and emotionally harass Jesus? No. But Jesus calls the believers his body. And so he was telling them they were hurting Jesus. Saul was hurting Jesus because he was hurting other believers. And you and I can do the same thing. In fact, Jesus told a parable in Matthew 25, I think it is, about a king who... Um, I was trying to remember the reference and, and lost track. Uh, there was a king and he's rewarding people for the kindness they have shown to him. And, he, and he's saying, you helped me when I was hurt and you visited me in prison. And they're saying, like, when did we do that for you? And Jesus said the words of the king that when you did it to the least of the people, you did it for me. That's what the king said. That was the story that Jesus taught to help us understand that when we help other people, we are being a blessing to God. And when we hurt other people, we are hurting the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul explained his personal commitment would be what? Verse 13, what's his personal commitment? He said, instead of being a hindrance to other people, I just will not eat meat as long as I live. He's not saying everybody needs to become a vegetarian. In fact, he might have eaten meat in other places. But there in Corinth, with this issue going on, he was not going to do it. He wanted to make sure he was not a hindrance to others. So the church in 2020 has a little bit different problem. We don't worry about where the meat came from, and maybe we should worry about a little more. There's some weird stuff going on in the raising of chickens and pigs and, and cows and even fish. There's some weird stuff going on, not just out there in the world, but here at home in, in the United States. But, but we have another problem. And, and we have a pandemic that's caused turmoil across the country. And uh, in fact, it, the pandemic's caused turmoil around the world. In fact, 
the people hurt the most are the people with the least. And, and they're the ones hurting the most. I honestly, like here in Casa Grande, the biggest panic that we had was we might run out of toilet paper. We had everything else. We could get canned goods. We could get stuff. We might have to pay a little bit more for them. But other parts of the world, they couldn't get food because it wasn't being shipped, wasn't being trucked, wasn't being sent. And so uh, we have people, and, and some people have, were angry that churches stopped meeting when the government recommended that we not meet uh, for the health of, you know, to figure things out. And we stopped meeting in uh, March, and we didn't meet for a couple of months, and then we started meeting with a really weird seating configuration that still messes with my head while I'm up here. But um, it, it's, it's different. It's strange. It, and some people thought the church should have just kept on meeting and ignored all that stuff. Because who do we trust for our health? Wow. Brownie points over here. Who do we trust for our health? God. Jesus Christ is called the great physician. We, we trust the Lord for our health. So should we just ignore the rules and take these things and just throw them away? Well, you could do that. I don't recommend it because that's not the right thing to do for others. So when I go into a store and I wear this, these aren't very comfortable. And mine's black so I can look cool. No, uh, it was at my size and style that I wanted... I had the choice of black or white, and I thought black would not look nasty as fast as white would, so I got the black. But I have some others that are different. But listen, uh, some people were angry that churches stopped meeting. Other people were angry that churches started meeting again. One Christian told me they were so angry that their church was actually going to get together. And I said, well, our church is going to get together too the same week when we restarted and changed the configuration. And some people think we should not require people to wear masks. Just trust God and ignore the mask. And other people think it's wrong and selfish if you don't have a mask on. Both sides, people have been angry, have said angry words back and forth, angry messages. I am not on Twitter, but occasionally somebody sends me a snapshot of their Twitter feed and so I can see. And there's a lot of angry anger going out there about how we handle this. Now, God did not put you in charge of changing the world. Wives, you might want to say that to your husband again. God did not put you in charge of saving the world. <laughs> just seeing, just seeing. God could have, couldn't he? God could have said, from the day she was born, Gwen was going to be in charge of the world. She thinks she is sometimes, but she's not in charge of the world. God could have given that responsibility to any living human being, but he chose to hold it unto himself. He's in charge of the world. So once again, let's look at only God is God. Only God. And everyone else is equally under his authority. 
So if you're the masker or the anti-masker or uh, whatever, you're under his authority equally. And you have the responsibility to do what is best for others. To do what is best for others. You can't just do your own thing. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, do your own thing because God loves you. It just doesn't say that. It says you have responsibility to others. So you can apply this to the pandemic and the way you respond to the changes in our culture. You can apply this to your parenting and the way you discipline your kids, that you are equally under God's authority. You can apply this to your job and the way you respond to your boss and to your coworkers. Uh, you can apply this to your driving and the way you drive in relation to the other people out there on the road. You can apply this during a walk around your neighborhood. You can pick up some trash. You can pray for your neighbors. Man, the day after the 4th of July, which happened to be the 5th, and I was out walking, and there was a lot of trash out there from, you know, canisters, from people blowing off fireworks and everything. And, and so I picked up a bunch of it, and then I went for a really long walk down south of town, up in the hills there. There's a place where there used to be a house, and now it's just a concrete ledge on top of one of the hills. And you can see where the driveway was and the front door was and all that. And they had canisters, a, a great big boxes of things they were shooting off from up there. Uh, might have looked pretty, I don't know. But, but you can walk around and you can pick up trash, you can take care of things, you can pray for people, you can minister to people. You know what? You can wear a mask just to make other people feel better. And I don't mean you have to cover up your ugly mug. I mean... Just wear a mask for a little while. We can do this for the sake of others. But the real thing that we need to get in here is that we answer to God. And God makes the rules. And we respond to them. And what Jesus Christ wants to see is you to show love to other people. And teenagers, it's hard for you guys, but the way you show love to your parents is not being mouthy. And that's hard. I was not a Christian as a young teen, and it was really hard when I became a Christian and had to try and change. But think how much better the world would be if most of the people, instead of seeking their own way, tried to do what was best for others. There is no concept of the common good left in America, except in the churches. And we do things for the common good because everybody needs the Lord. Everybody needs His Word. Everybody needs to know the truth. And each person desperately needs a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so... We have that responsibility, and we can do it through Christ.